neighbor, you are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you this morning. It is uh, a great, great joy. I've heard so much about the community that meets here at New Garden, meets at Tupac Tyler. Um, I've, I've had the joy of becoming friends with Michael and Adam over the last year or so. Um, as, as Michael said, um, the other Michael and I are members at Woodlot Hills Church just across the way and about 20 minutes from here. Um, but we have been so blessed to learn a little bit more about this faith community and the ways that God is using this faith community to bless the community around you. And it's just a gift to get a glimpse of it this morning and to spend a little bit of time opening God's Word together this morning. Uh, as we continue, what I understand has been a series throughout the summer, uh, studying the parables of Jesus, this, this way in which Jesus would talk to his followers about the way of life that he was calling them into and the ways in which the kingdom of heaven operated. And he would do that through these stories. And I'm so glad you're studying parables because they're so simple and easy to understand. Um, really, really easy to understand. That's, that's a joke. They're super complicated. Uh, really difficult to grapple with because they're often uh, layered with so much complexity related to the times in which Jesus was teaching these stories. Um, and so our, our story today is going to be no different. Um, there's layers of complexity and nuance as we're going to try and discern something about what it means um, to, to be invited into the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're going to look at today as we, as we look at this story from Matthew chapter 22. Um, and this parable is going to, as a lot of parables do, is going to try and describe what the kingdom of heaven is like and what the kingdom of heaven is not like. So if you have your phones and you want to pull up the scripture today, you can. I'm also going to have it on the screen. This story, this parable from Matthew chapter 22. And I'm going to read it aloud for us as we get started this morning. So Jesus also told them other parables like this one, where he said that the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, Hey, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fat and cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious. And he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn the town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. The banquet hall was filled 
with guests. This is the word of God, the people of God. And I've told you, parables are so simple and easy and self-explanatory, right? What are we supposed to do with this story about this invitation to a great banquet that is rejected by many and is even leads to this terrible act of violence, murdering the messengers who are sent to receive these guests? In our story today, this king goes to great lengths to prepare this wonderful wedding feast. He pulls out all the costs, spares no expense, prepares the, the, the food, prepares the entertainment, sends out the invitations, and whenever it's time for the feast to begin, he sends out his messengers to go and collect those that he's invited. And what do they do? They reject him. Turn him away. But the king is so adamant to have guests attend this wedding feast that he sends out more messengers. And again, these messengers are rejected. And Matthew tells us that uh, the invited guests ignore the messengers and they go their own way. What are we supposed to do with this story of this invitation to a, a wedding feast? Uh, in fact, this story is told in another place. It's not just told here in Matthew. Another gospel writer, Luke, also tells this story. And his version of the story, there's a little bit more detail that might help us understand what's happening in this story. In Luke's version of the story, we see uh, some of the excuses that these guests give for why they can't accept the invitation to come to the party. One of them says that I just bought a field. Just bought a field. I need to go and inspect this field. Another says that he just bought some cattle and he needs to go and check in on his purchase that he just made. Another, maybe this is the best excuse, he just got married. He says, I can't come to the feast because I need to go and attend to my wife. And in this uh, description that Luke gives us, these excuses, we find three things. Land, animals, and a spouse, family. Land, animals, and family. Which for those who are hearing Jesus tell this story in their cultural context, they would hear this description of land, animals, and family, and would very quickly interpret this to mean money, sustenance, and status. We're talking about land. We're talking about a symbol of money, of success, of power, of prestige. We're talking about animals. We're talking about ways that you can provide for yourself and for your family and maybe even others who are under your care. We're talking about a spouse. We're talking about family. We're talking about the ways in which your story, your legacy, your status is carried on. But this story about these excuses of land, animals, and family, they're not just about land, animals, and family. They're about money and sustenance and, and power and status. These are the means of success and provision and legacy. But these are the reasons that these guests can't accept the invitation to come to the banquet because accepting the invitation would mean rejecting these things, would mean leaving these things behind. And maybe that starts to explain their response just a little bit, right? It doesn't condone this, this sort of uh, out-of-character act of, of violence, over-the-top act of violence, but maybe it starts to explain for us just a little bit. We're talking about money and power and status. And we know, just from the world around us, that any time we talk about money and power and status, things tend to get a little heated. Especially if the conversation turns to, you need to give up your money, power, your status. 
what I'm sure you've come to, to realize as you've looked at the, the nature of parables this summer is that parables are never just about the surface story. There's always something else going on behind the story, something that the story is meant to capture and explain and describe and illustrate. And that's the same for our story today. As, as we look deeper and deeper into this parable, we'll begin to realize that this story isn't just about rejecting an invitation to a banquet. This story is about the lingering question in the backs of all of our minds, the question about ultimate concern. The question about the things in life that define our identity, the things that give us purpose, the things that serve as our source of hope, the things that make us feel safe, Make us feel secure. Make us feel significant. That's what this story is really about. One of the, the themes that you discover as you look at stories that are about the kingdom of heaven, look at descriptions of the kingdom of heaven, this life that God most desires for his people. One of the things that starts to emerge that you realize is that the kingdom of heaven, in this dramatic, countercultural fashion, the kingdom of heaven includes those who have been rejected. It includes those who have maybe been rejected by worldly standards. We think about the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. The kingdom of heaven has space for those people. The kingdom of heaven also includes those who have been rejected because they have courageously chosen to follow God. We see story after story in Scripture of those who have been brought into God's fold, even though their choice to follow God has led to rejection elsewhere. They find a place to belong here. The kingdom of heaven includes those who have been rejected. I think one of the things we discover through our story today, this, this parable, is that the kingdom of heaven includes not only those who have been rejected, but those who have been willing to reject. Those who have been willing to reject some of those sources of safety and security and significance, some of those sources of cushion and comfort, some of those sources of identity and status, some of those things that make us feel like we're good on our own, like we're self-sufficient. All of the, the good things in our life, right? The things that aren't bad in and of themselves, except they often lay claim to our trust and to our faith and to our hope and our reliance and our dependence that the kingdom of heaven is made up of people who have willingly rejected those things in order to receive the invitation to the banquet. The thing that distinguishes, in our story even, the thing that distinguishes those who attend the wedding and those who don't attend the wedding we realize is just that. <laughs> the only thing that distinguishes these two groups of people is those who attend and those who don't. Those who accept the invitation and those who don't accept the invitation. It, it doesn't seem to be a reflection of their, their character. It doesn't seem to be a reflection of their goodness or of their badness. It doesn't seem as if they've done anything to earn a spot at the table. At the end of the day, the only thing that distinguishes these two groups of people is that there are those who choose to attend and those who choose to not attend. 
Those who accept the invitation, and those who reject the invitation. And apparently, there is something about holding on to the things that make us feel safe, secure, and significant that prevent us from taking hold of the invitation to the the invitation to God's best life for us. So this parable leaves us with the tension. The tension that's not new to God's people. The tension that's lingered for ages and ages. The tension that we can't accept God's invitation unless we reject the other things that lay claim to our attention, to our trust, to our faith. The tension that we find throughout Scripture. This parable is the only place where we find this tension in front of us. There's places all throughout Scripture. In fact, just a couple of chapters before this parable is told, Jesus has this encounter with a young man. A young man who seems really curious. He really wants to know. He asks Jesus, Jesus, how do I find my way into eternal life? He says, but really what he's talking about is, how do I find my way into the kingdom of heaven? How do I find my way into the best life that God has in store for me? And Jesus looks this man in the eye. You can see that he, he really wants to know. So Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to leave your stuff. You're going to come and follow me. And this is where we, we get a glimpse of how brilliant a storyteller these gospel writers are, because it's only at that point in the story where Matthew gives us this little detail. He says, uh, this guy is really, really wealthy, really rich. The end of the story is that this rich young man walks away dejected and sorrowful because he can't imagine giving up his stuff to follow Jesus. He can't accept the invitation unless he's willing to reject those other things. Even earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew recounts some of Jesus' teaching in that section called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells us pretty plainly, pretty clearly, that you can't serve two masters. It's not possible. Because either you're going to love one and you'll hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. And at the end, he gets really clear and forward with it. He just says, you can't serve God and money. It's not possible to serve two masters at once. You can't accept the invitation without rejecting these other things. Maybe the most stark sort of scriptural example to me of, of this tension that's at play is from the Old Testament, from the story of Israel. Uh, one of the, the, the rhythms that God wanted to invite his people into is he's building a new life for them, a, a new way of being in the world. He introduces them to something called Jubilee. There's this invitation that every 50 years, the people of God would observe a year of Jubilee, an entire year that was meant to be about rest and enjoyment, basking in the gifts that God had given them, the faithfulness of God, Every 50 years, slaves would be released, land would be returned to its original owners. They would simply enjoy the gifts that God had given them. You might want to think about this as another way of describing an invitation to a great feast, a great banquet, much like our story today. 
is you'll have this invitation to enjoy God's gifts for an entire year, the year of Jubilee. The only thing is that there's no indication that Israel ever observed this year of Jubilee. There's no indication that they ever took God up on his offer, this invitation to enjoy an entire year of feasting in God's presence and God's faithfulness. Because there was always a reason not to. There was always an excuse not to. There was always a reason not to leave those things behind. Maybe sometimes it was, it was economic reasons. Sometimes it was status reasons. Sometimes it was political reasons. Sometimes it was religious reasons. But there was always a reason not to observe Jubilee. There was always a reason not to accept the invitation. We have this, this invitation to a great banquet. Just like the banquet that the king is inviting his guests to in our parable, Israel can't muster up the courage to reject their own sense of safety and security and significance in order to take hold of God's invitation to this banquet. And I don't think we can be too judgmental of Israel but whether we can blame them too much because whatever push comes to shove, at least in my life, if I'm faced with the decision to accept God's invitation to the best life for me, to keep hanging on to the things that I can see, the things that I can trust, the things that give me a sense of safety and security and significance, I think about which party, which group of people I most often belong to. Am I more like the folks who drop everything and accept the invitation to go to the wedding? Or am I more like the ones who ignore the invitation and go my own way? This story, as strange as it is, I think at some level, is introducing us to a pretty simple reality. That you can't reach out, take hold of the invitation to the best life. We're still holding on to things that make us feel safe, secure, and secure. At the end of the day, I'm not sure that we're that different from raccoons in that way. Um, you'll see where I'm going here in just a second, because as I read this parable, I, I couldn't help but be reminded of uh, a story from uh, the book, or maybe you've seen the movie rendition, Where the Red Fern Grows. Anybody remember that story from when you were growing up? Yeah, don't worry, I'm not going to tell the full story, so you don't have to get the box of Kleenexes out, because it's a terribly sad story. We're not going to go there this morning. But there is this, this story in the, where the red fern grows, where the main character, Billy, has just gotten these two new hunting dogs. That's sort of the crux of the story. He has these two new hunting dogs, and he needs to train these two new hunting dogs. And to do that, he needs to get uh, a raccoon. He needs to catch a raccoon, he needs to kill the raccoon, he needs to have a raccoon pelt so he can train these two new hunting dogs. His granddad tells him about a uh, trick that he learned when he was a kid ways that he could catch a raccoon if he wanted to. So he's instructing his grandson on how he could uh, catch a raccoon, a trap for catching a raccoon. He says he needs to get a, uh, a container, a container with an opening at the top that's just, just big enough 
for a raccoon to fit its open paw into. And then he needs to go and he needs to find a, uh, some kind of, of shiny object, some kind of shiny thing that he could put in the bottom of this container. Billy's not really quite sure how this is going to help him catch a raccoon. But he comes to realize what his granddad already knows to be true about raccoons. Maybe you know this too. Raccoons, first of all, uh, they, they love shiny things. And second of all, I don't know if you've ever had a run with raccoons in your trash, but um, when raccoons want something, they will stop at nothing to get it. And once they have it, they won't let go of it for anything. And that's kind of the idea of the trap, right? If you get a container that is just big enough for a raccoon to fit its open paw into, but is too large for the raccoon to pull its fist out of, the raccoon will reach into the container, grab onto this shiny object that it wants so badly, but because its fist is enclosed around its object, it won't be able to get its fist out of the container. Boom, you've got the raccoon pop. I can't help but wonder, at some level, this is our predicament. As the people of God, we're faced with this invitation to take hold of God's invitation for us to live the very best life possible. But we've been trapped by things that look really, really shiny, by things that, that, that tell us that they'll make us feel safe. They'll make us feel secure, they'll make us feel significant, but as long as we are holding on to those things, we cannot take hold of God's invitation to the best life for us. We will be trapped by the things that make us feel safe, secure, and significant. And so at the end of the day, I wonder if this parable is asking us a couple of questions. Are we willing to let go of the things that make us feel safe, secure, and sufficient in order to take hold of God's invitation for us? I think for us to ask that question, we first have to ask the question, what is this thing? What is it? We all have it. Sometimes there are even good things in our life, but there are things that want to lay claim to our loyalty, to our devotion, to our trust, to our reliance, to our hope. What is the thing that makes us feel safe, that makes us feel secure, that makes us feel significant? And if we continue to hang on to it, we won't be able to, to, to lay claim to the things that God has in store for us. What is this thing? Is what this parable reminds us of. That the kingdom of heaven isn't made up of A-listers, it's not made up of people who have a certain kind of pedigree. The kingdom of heaven isn't made up of people who have uh, worked really, really hard to get there. It's not made up of busybodies who have done the right things in order to gain a seat at the table. The kingdom of heaven is made up of people who have willingly rejected the things that make us feel safe, secure, and significant in order to take hold of God's invitation the best life for us. The question is, will we be willing to let go in order to take hold of God's invitation?
as we continue to think about that this morning, as we, as we wrap up this morning, I want to lead us in a pretty simple uh, prayer exercise. It's going to invite us just to, to name this thing, this shiny object, this, this thing that lays claim to our attention, to our devotion, to our hope, to our trust. And it's, it's a variation of a prayer practice that maybe you've done before. It's called Palms Down, Palms Up. And I want to invite you to, to enter into this prayer practice with, you, with me this morning. I'm going to instruct you the whole way. But let's start, if you're comfortable, just by, by closing your eyes if you'd like to. I invite you to close your eyes, and I want to invite you to put your hands out in front of you with your fists closed. Imagining that your fist is in the bottom of this jar, wrapped around a shiny object. I want you to think about that. What is that shiny object? What is that thing, those things? It's far too easy to put your faith, trust, hope in things that make you feel safe, things that make you feel secure, things that make you feel significant. You have that thing in your grasp. I invite you to turn your hands up with your palms towards the sky. I invite you to open your hands to name that thing, those things, before God. Just to name it. Knowing that God already knows what those things are, but in humility, posture of mercy, offer that thing up to God. if you're willing. I know it's just a simple act. Sometimes our bodies convince our brains and our hearts of things that beyond our comprehension. I would like you to turn your palms back down towards the ground. The posture of giving up. Imagining that that object is now falling from your hands. The object that you have named before God falling from your hands. and then you can now turn your palms back up towards the sky with your hands and feet. Ready to receive all that God has for you. Invitation to the best life possible. God, we lift our hands up to you. Knowing that you are the source of every good thing. So we know that even the good things in our life that want to claim our faith and our hope, our trust, God, ultimately those things are from you anyway. So we want to give them up. We're off them before you. We want to let go of them because we want the life that you have in store for us. We want to be able to follow Jesus unencumbered by things that lay claim to our attention, to our hope, to our trust. So God, even with this simple practice, even with this simple act of devotion, would you use this moment 
to give us the courage, to give us the audacity, not just in this moment, but in moments to come, to let go of those things that would claim our attention and our hope in order to receive your invitation for us. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.